At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I feel very ready. Um, you know, I've, I've been ready. Uh, I, I, there's a, you can say, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And I've, I've been ready since I got here. So I'm excited. I'm ready. Um, I'm built for this. This is, this is what I've done my whole career. Get ready. It's coming Thursday night. Case Keenum making his first start with the Cleveland Browns. Becomes the 31st starting quarterback for the Browns since the team was reconstituted in 1999. He's playing, of course, because Baker Mayfield wants to play but can't play. He was ruled out on Wednesday, a day after he said it was going to be his decision as to whether or not he played, and he is able to play. And don't anyone tell me that I may hurt the team if I play injured. And Deal with it. somebody came to him and said to him, Sorry, Baker, but this is the way it's got to be. That's the decision the team had to make. Best interest of the team, Chris. Best interest of the team. No doubt. Plain and simple. Good morning, by the way. Good Good morning morning to you and good morning to everyone out there enjoying the program or not enjoying the program. I don't care if you don't enjoy it as long as you watch it. You can hate watch it as long as you watch it. You can ambivalence watch it as long as you watch it. I don't care. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I like that. That's a good phrase. Hate watch it. Yeah, we probably do have a little bit of that, like... uh, group of people out there. I hate these two guys, but I'm going to watch anyways. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not shocked by this. As, as nasty as that injury looked for Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, we know there's an issue there. I mean, it really got really extended to a point where you're like, wow. I mean, yeah, dislocation, tearing of ligaments, all that possibly could have happened. I mean, that was some look when you, especially when you see, you know, the second look, the replay right here. Um, but, you know, you, you hit on it perfectly yesterday, I think, just the the whole situation. And, yeah, with that type of injury, I'm sure it's just gotten more sore and sore as the week has gone on. They don't feel comfortable with it. So they're going Case Keenum. I doubt it was him that said, I don't feel comfortable with it, right? Not after that press conference. So I got to think they went to him and said, hey, Bake, come on, man. You're not ready to go. Let's sit this one out. Let's let Ke- Case Keenum play. Yeah, and I suspect he's pissed. I, bet I, you, I suspect I bet you. he's not happy. 
And 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 that's part of what they have to deal with when you have a quarterback with that prickly side to his personality. Sure. They all a lot it. of them have it. Yeah. You don't you don't become right. that guy yeah. without having a bit of an attitude. But Baker seems to have a little bit more of an attitude than most. Or 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 he seems to be less inclined to try to conceal it publicly than most. I, I would I would agree with that a hundred percent. But I think your point about like you know, the quarterback being a little prickly that way. Yeah, they, they, they all are to a degree. They really are. I mean, you know, it, it takes a certain type of edge to play in the NFL. It takes another certain type of edge to play quarterback in the NFL. And uh, yeah, when you're, you know, hell-bent on, I'm going to compete this week, this week on Thursday night and I'm playing in a game and they tell you no, yeah, you walk, off the, you walk around the building pissed off the rest of the day. Sorry, Liverpool. So, yes, that's uh, th that's a real issue, and, you, and you're right about that. And knowing you, and given the fact that you were a starting quarterback in the NFL, even though it wasn't for very long, I can attest that you are prickly. I, right, exactly. Right. Minus the L-Y at times. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry to everyone out there who uh, had to endure that one. Um, anyway. Uh, so we're on the same page as it relates to going with Case Keenum. The balance that has to be struck anytime the starter slips below 100%. At what point is the starter so far below 100% that the assessment made by the organization is we have a backup who at 100%, assuming the backup is, and clearly Case Keenum is, can, can be better, gives us a better chance to win. We saw how Keenum played in Minnesota in 2017. I mean, he's been up and down all over the place. Yeah. He was 11 and 3 as a starter with the Vikings in 2017, then 6 and 10 with the Broncos the following season. He was 0 and 8 as a starter with the Texans back in 2013. But he was with Stefanski for only one of those years and that was that was 2017 in Minnesota. The head coach of the Browns now was the quarterback's coach of the Vikings then and uh, I, you know, I, I remember thinking this made a ton of sense when the Browns yeah. signed him to be the backup in 2020, the familiarities there, and you know you have a guy who can step in and get it done if you need him to. Now, he's going to be, you know, a little hamstrung. He doesn't have Nick Chubb. He doesn't have Kareem Hunt. He may no not doubt. have Odo Beckham Jr. Right. didn't practice all week. Yeah. The two tackles are questionable. His right. starting center is questionable. Whoa. So, yeah, he's getting thrust into an environment where – Hey, this is a great offense that I can run. Where is everybody? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. He's going to go, wait, this isn't exactly the offense I envisioned taking over. But, I mean, you're right. You said it the right way. Uh, I mean, this is why you got Case Keenum. They got a team that they look at that's playoff-ish, you know, Super Bowl-ish for sure. And he, for my money, I mean, Case Keenum is arguably the best backup in football. I don't think there's anybody you'd rather have in this situation right here experience knows the system like you've talked about has some playmaking ability you know he's a good athlete i think he's he's every bit as good an athlete as baker mayfield maybe maybe even a little bit better now i don't know if his arm is quite as powerful as baker mayfield but it's still a good arm and he can make every throw you want let alone you know he he has played he knows the system and we've talked about baker a little bit lately like and the fact that Hey, he's missed some throws. He's definitely missed some reads down the field where you're going, what is he looking at? I'm not sure there. And, you know, again, he's done a lot of good things, but that's, hey, something Case Keenum might be able to bring to the table. Maybe might be able to run the offense at a little bit of a cleaner level than what we've seen out of Baker the last few weeks. 
And uh, that, that's where it's going to be interesting. And I think that's where Baker probably didn't want to sit out the game because he's probably scared that that might happen like we talked about yesterday. He left Houston in 2011 as the NCAA's all-time leader in total passing yards, yeah. touchdowns, and completions. So he can sling it around. And he's gone from the Texans to the St. Louis Rams to the Los Angeles Rams Vikings, Broncos, Washington, and Brown. So he's been around, and he's never really settled in anywhere. And he said, I was built for this, and he probably would prefer that he was built for something more than just to be the guy who can constantly find employment but who can't find a consistent starting opportunity. And this is an opportunity for him yeah. to showcase himself to maybe get a chance somewhere else next year or or – uh, not in Cleveland. Not in Cleveland. No, but we gotta have that conversation. But we gotta have this conversation. Yeah, okay. I, I know we're supposed to talk about the game tonight, but but we're we're in this neighborhood. This dawned on me yesterday. I don't know if we talked about it on PFT Live or Miles Simmons and I discussed it on PFTPM. I think it came up in the afternoon. Yeah, I don't think it's with me. So let's let's hear it. If you're the Browns, yeah, okay. You you you're aware of the cautionary tale of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, even though Andrew Barry, the Browns GM in the offseason, said that those two contracts that were given to those two quarterbacks should not be a cautionary tale for what they do or don't do with Baker Mayfield. Although I don't believe him. I just think he gains nothing publicly by saying that because they're dealing with a guy who is prickly and who doesn't want any suggestion from the organization that he's not going to be the best quarterback in the history of the team, if not in the history of the league. That's just the attitude he has. And I like that attitude. Yeah. But they haven't paid him yet. And I assume one of the reasons they haven't paid him yet is he wants a hell of a lot more than they want to pay him. At what point, once everybody's healthy again, whenever that may be, when you consider the Browns roster on both sides of the ball, yeah. at what point do the 2022 Browns become a magnet for Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, other veteran quarterback who is scanning the 32 teams saying, where's the place that I can go and, and add to my legacy yeah, right. in a positive way. Right. Uh, Don't the Browns become one of those teams? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If that becomes a possibility, they will be at the top of the radar for those type, for those type of situations or those type of quarterbacks. No doubt about it. You know, again, what have we seen from from all these guys so far? Whether it's, you know, you know, uh, of course, Tom Brady, Brett Wanna Favre, win. go to a place Peyton Manning. Let's win. go. We're, we're going. I'm going win. to a team that I've looked at, I've studied, I've talked to people around the league, and I know they're really good, and they're going to give me a chance to, yeah, like you said, add to the legacy. Hey, we'll we'll see. I I mean, listen, I I hear what you're saying here. I do. You know, the Baker Mayfield contract situation certainly on the horizon, and I don't know what you do with it there. I mean, I do say this. He's, he's more talented than Jared Goff. There's no doubt about that. So I, 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 I don't necessarily, you know, I'm going to give him that. Carson Wentz, uh, I don't know. I mean, Carson Wentz, again, we've seen play at, at a level where we go, whoa, is he one of the five best quarterbacks in football? We've seen that. Now, it's been a little while since we've seen it. It's been, you know, a year and a half, but he's kind of getting back in form too. Um, but... I, I hear what you're saying there. And, you know, again, we've had Baker. It's been a roller coaster so far in his career as far as the play we've seen. 
You know, that first year, yeah, it was real good. It started off hot towards the end of the year. It kind of cooled off. Then the next year, it never really got hot. It started off cold as hell, actually. And he had a few moments through the year, but it wasn't a great year. And then, of course, we had last year, which, you know, also started off cold as hell. And really him just kind of, you know, I don't want to say managing the games, but not having a huge effect on the game until I'm going to say it was week 10, 11, somewhere during that point of the year last year to where you started to go, damn, Baker Mayfield's making a lot of plays, a lot of throws. You know, I think, hey, it's a tough decision and a lot's going to go on to, you know, how how they feel about him as a leader of the team. And they feel like he can lead them to the promised land in the future at some point. And that's that, you know, there's going to be some things that we don't really know the answers to. And one thing that we believe, I think you agree with me on this, that the NFL eventually will break from is this idea that the next guy up yeah. for a new contract yes. quarterback who right. is on the pass side of the pass-fail, bust, no bust, this guy works out, he's good enough to stay, we want him to stay, we don't want to run him out of town, the idea that he automatically becomes one of the highest-paid players in football and they keep going no. a little bit more, a little bit right. more. I think a second tier needs to develop. We definitely talked about this yesterday afternoon on PFTPM. A second tier needs to develop, and Baker Mayfield could be at the top of that second tier. Between 30 and 35, not between 40 and 45. That may be the only way he stays. And the Browns have developed over the past six, seven years under Paul DePodesta, this obsession with analytics, and it just doesn't apply to when you go for it and when you don't and when you kick and when you go for two and when you do this and when you do that during a game. It applies to the very interchangeable parts on a roster and how much you're willing to pay one guy yeah. knowing that you can find someone else that may be as good, if not better, on the open market or through the draft or wherever. And if they're going to be a yeah. team that becomes very attractive to veteran quarterbacks who are looking elsewhere, that's a factor. Now, they've got Mayfield under contract for one more year. Right. And his salary for 2022 is fully guaranteed. So it becomes difficult to do it next year. But it's still got to be on the radar screen because until he has that second contract, there's no guarantee that Baker Mayfield is going to be there long term no no and and listen I, I think you you said a lot of great points there like he would be one where you know I, I don't want to say buyer beware but I'm certainly you know not just going to go oh you're the next guy up here you are you're one of the three or four highest paid quarterbacks of football I mean I agree with you I know we've had this conversation a lot I think we've we've you know led sports media as far as the football conversation and in this conversation as far as you don't always have to pay the guy you know top three at his position just because he's ready and next no, he's been good. He's been good. Has he been great? No, he certainly has not been great. And I think the other aspect of it too, you know, is yes, they have a good team. We know that, but it's not a QB centric type of team. That that's that's the other thing here. They they don't necessarily need, and of course you'd like it, but with the way they play, they don't necessarily need a superstar quarterback to make this machine go. I mean, again. You know, the offense is really all through the run game. It's all about the run game. And, you know, you look at them, it's very similar to, like, you know, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, the same way, where, yeah, he's really good when Dalvin Cook and company are playing really good. But when they don't run the ball and the boot and play action pass is not there, he's not necessarily going to carry your team with the drop back pass game like Patrick Mahomes or Rodgers or Josh Allen. They're not in that stratosphere. You know, they're top 10-ish 
You know, or right now, Kirk Cousins is like on the edge of the top 10 as far as that type of quarterback. And to me, yeah, you don't break the bank for that guy. And uh, I would think and hope that Cleveland would realize that and, and not, you know, not make that mistake. But if they could get a superstar quarterback, if a superstar quarterback falls into their laps, I think you pivot to that. Because, sure, sure. Look, we could go back year by year. You, your chances of winning a Super Bowl without a superstar quarterback are not great. The Ravens in 2000. The Bucks in 2002 with Brad Johnson because it was all defense. Yeah. You could argue the Steelers the victory first in Super one. Bowl 40 right. was a result of d- defense and officiating, sure. not quarterback play. Yeah. So, uh, but Russell but Wilson, time, the Seahawks, the first one, the Broncos with Peyton Manning. I mean, I, I mean, your point's real, no doubt. Yeah. And and even then, you had Peyton Manning. Yeah, you, you had, had Peyton, Peyton Manning, Manning still, right, where that gives your team confidence. The defense rose up that day. No doubt. No, that no, was, you're right. Yeah. And he's going to get you in the right checks and make right plays and be clutch in a big moment. That's where, yeah, even though he's at the end of his career and maybe not the superstar he was, you, you still trusted him in big moments. I'm glad you mentioned Russell Wilson because I bet one of the things that torments him is the fact that he really wasn't responsible for the Super Bowl win. So, yes, I have one on my resume, but I didn't deliver it. Yeah. I didn't do it. I failed when it was my chance to deliver it the next year by the throw that was made and intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Another reason there's an urgency there for him to go to greener pastures if the Seahawks can't give him what he wants and look at where the Seahawks currently are, look what the Browns currently are. It's a no-brainer. Oh, by the way, Russell Wilson was born in Ohio. Maybe another, maybe another magnet right. that would draw Russell Wilson home for uh, the Browns. But they're going to have options come 2022 if they want them. The question is, do they want them? And the Broncos are going to be one of the teams. They're going to be jostling potentially because the Broncos, the team they play tonight, they've got a quarterback situation yeah, they do. that continues to be less than ideal. And Teddy Bridgewater has a quad injury now on top of the foot injury. The defense is what's going to carry the day tonight. Do we think that the defense, with all those banged-up players on offense, and we won't know until 90 minutes before kickoff who's going or not. As I mentioned, there are five or six guys who are questionable. But with Vaughn Miller, with that defense, with the way we know they're capable of playing, this this is an opportunity for them. And as I said yesterday, you know, this is one of those when the schedule comes out, you say, oh, God, we got to go to Cleveland on a short week. It's Cleveland. They're good now. Now, after six weeks, you're thinking maybe maybe the planets are lining up here to give us a chance to steal this one. Yeah, I I, I definitely think there is a chance to, for that to happen, especially with, you know, you, like you said, just the, the injury status or the health status of the Browns football team. That certainly opens the door even more for them to come into town and steal a game. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, hey, listen, the Browns are a different team when they can't run the ball effectively. And when you're missing, you know, one of the best run block and right tackles in football and, of course, a, a good left tackle who continues to get better in his second year, yeah, I, I do think they can steal the show a little bit. There's no doubt. And, you know, off of that, then it goes into, like, you know, is the Browns passing offense, you know, diverse enough and, and everything that way and creative enough to where are they going to expose the Broncos on that end? I have a hard time believing that as well. You know, Vic Fangio's as good as they come as far as like breaking down defenses and having people all in the right areas. So, you know, between that, I, I do give their defense a hell of an advantage, let alone now we're dropping back the pass. And you don't have your tackles there either. And you got Von Miller and, you know, a few other guys who certainly can win one-on-one matchups that could be scary too. So it is setting up for them to, 
you know, maybe pull off the upset. And I don't even know if it's an upset. What's the spread of this game? I haven't even looked. But either I way, I would think the Browns are favored by a slim little. favorite. Right. Yeah, slim yeah. favorite right. for the Browns. They haven't fallen that far yet. Two points, I think. Is it two points? Wow. So uh, the Browns, hey, the Browns are 3-3. Three and three, The Broncos are 3-3. Three and three. We didn't expect either one at this point, even though the Broncos have now lost three in a row. They're, they're still at 500 this deep into the season, something they haven't been since the days of Peyton Manning in Denver. So Teddy B is going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's a Viking quarterback reunion from 2017, even though Teddy didn't play much, if at all. Throw in Sam Bradford, and you have the whole depth chart there for uh, Thursday Night Football. And and we'll we'll see what happens. Look, we've been blessed with some great primetime games this year, and the two teams may be very evenly matched, and it may be a good game that goes down to the wire. And it's not an elimination game by any means, but if the Browns end up with four losses – through seven games, you don't have many more L's you can take and still make it to the playoffs. Not in the AFC. Yeah, that's all scary. those great teams. No doubt. No One doubt. team that, yeah. that they don't have to worry about for now is the Miami Dolphins. And we talked about superstar quarterbacks. Let's pivot to the news that came out yesterday afternoon. And this this is significant because of where it came from. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle knows the Texans as well as anyone, and he reported on Wednesday afternoon that the Texans could be trading Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins this week. And that tells me it's coming from the Texans, the team that he covers. This is something that, at a minimum, if he heard it from someone else, he ran it by them or it originated with them. The Texans are ready to move on from Deshaun Watson, as they should be. Yeah. And the window is closing on the opportunity to trade him before March of 2022. We are 12 days away from the expiration of the trading period. And as I've said all season long, if Stephen Ross wants Deshaun Watson, go get him. And here we are with five straight losses. And we mentioned earlier in the week, Deshaun Watson may be the only way to save Brian Flores and Chris Greer at this point. It's all adding up. Go take those unused lottery tickets that you don't know how to scratch properly into winners and and give them to the Texans and take the winner that they scratched off four years ago. Welcome him in. You got a franchise quarterback. And it doesn't mean it's going to change everything, but it's going to put you in a better spot than you are with the current quarterback that you have. All due respect, but it's the truth. Yeah, oh yeah, it's the truth. Come on, I mean, let's let's not let's that's not even close to like a conversation. We're talking about Deshaun Watson when healthy, hands down, no brainer, top five quarterback in football, top five player in football. I mean, he's he's a game changer. I mean, he's a game changer. They went to, they're going to the playoffs with the Houston Texans football team that wasn't necessarily great all those years. Even last year, they were competitive in so many games. It was only because of one reason, because of number four. So, you know, that's where it is a no-brainer. And I hope we're not at the point where we're looking at, like, hot seat Brian Flores and Chris Greer. I, I hope we're not. You know, I understand that's, like, you know, the era we're living in, but... I mean, well, damn. No, and it's the owner that they have. It's well, driven by who's making the decision. Well, that's, and that's, Stephen Ross is not bashful about firing people. Well, I yeah, that's great. I know, but sometimes he might have to fire himself and just be like, wait, I need to be quiet for a second. You know, first off, like, hey, Flores and Greer have done a lot of good stuff. They have. Has it been perfect? No. They were on the edge of the playoffs last year with a team that I don't think any of us thought was really a playoff team, but they beat a lot of teams that we didn't expect them to beat. And there they were in the playoff or, you know, in the last game of the year with a chance to go into the playoffs against the Buffalo Bills. You know, it's a young team. It's still finding its way. And, you know, with the cherry on top of like, 
hey, you're a little bit in this situation if you listen to any rumor because of Stephen Ross wanted Tua and you couldn't tell anybody else any different down there in Miami. Tua, 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 Tua. And, you know, I've had some people tell me this week, it's like the first week that, you know, South Florida is finally like, well, maybe Tua isn't the guy. Like, well, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. He's not your, as long as Tua is your quarterback, you're going to have to manage the game to a degree. He's never going to be a superstar. That's not going to happen. I'm confident in saying that. I've seen enough. He's a good player. He's a low-level starter in the NFL. They have to call plays just like they did last week that really just fit what he can do. They have to be careful about calling other plays because he can't do them at a high level. So with that, that hamstrings their offense in a great way. And I think that's where you know I hope Flores and Greer aren't on the hot seat, and I totally understand them you know, looking at Deshaun Watson uh, as, a, as a trade-up here at the quarterback position. Isn't it amazing that it took losing to the Jaguars, who it, had it lost is. 20 games in a row, right. only the second team in 102 NFL seasons to lose 20 in a row, to wake up the Tua Mafia to the possibility that Tua ain't the guy. And it's entirely possible, on one hand, to say – Tua is a very nice person. 100%. We enjoy talking to him. And on the other hand, he's not a franchise quarterback, and he never will be. We don't need to give it another year. We don't need to give it another month. We don't need to give it another week. Our eyes are telling us what we need to see. And, Chris, I keep going back to this. To the extent that Tua was Stephen Ross, somebody in that organization needed to go visit him in New York, and that's one of the fundamental problems with the Dolphins, frankly. The owner doesn't live in Miami, although with Stephen Ross, maybe it's better than he doesn't, frankly. But, uh, <laughs> but somebody's got to go. I don't, think you, heard, I don't think you heard you. You whispered it. What'd Sorry, you say? Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Maybe it's better that you don't live in Miami, frankly. All due respect. But maybe somebody needs to go to him and say, hey, look, let's, let's – let's, hey, Steve, I know you're a busy guy, but – Let's have lunch in your conference room in New York City. We'll fly up to you. You don't have to come down here. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, we'll come to you. We'll take the time and do it. And we want to show you a little something. And, it, you know, it almost reminds me of, what was it? It was the story from the USFL when Donald Trump was bound and determined, I think, to bring Doug Flutie. Yeah. To the generals. Right. Right. And and they brought in a guy who was five ten and they brought in a guy who was six five. And like, this is the difference. I mean, yeah, and it's 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 not just that from Tua and ju to Justin Herbert, but take the film up to Stephen Ross and play it for him and say, Here's Tua, here's Herbert. Here's Tua. Yeah. Here's Herbert. Somebody somebody needed to do that and bust through that bubble of it's got to be Tua, it's got to be Tua, instead of cowering to the idea that the owner wants Tua so the owner gets Tua, and we better not push back because what if we're wrong? You know, it's okay if he's wrong, but the problem is now that it's blowing up, he ain't taking ownership of this. Definitely he's going to say, I don't make these decisions. Yeah, I don't make these decisions. That's on my people, and if my people aren't making good decisions, I'm going to go get people who can make better decisions. Uh, I mean, uh, listen, uh, he, maybe he does think like that. You know, it, it, that's a... It's a hard conversation to have with an owner who, you know, from everything you hear, see, seemed hell-bent on wanting Tua. 
So I, I don't know. Can you talk him out of that situation? I don't know how. Hey, listen, I don't know how strongly Chris Greer and, and you know uh, and Brian Flores felt about Justin Herbert, as we talked about you know a little bit last week. Like, hey, there was a lot of people that didn't see it because again, everybody gets obsessed with just wins and losses and stats, and they go, well, he wins. And his stats are great, and I want to go. I want to go down like what you're saying. What they need to do with Stephen Ross, I want to bring like everybody in and go and go. Okay, yes, his stats are better, and he wins and loses. Look at how open this receiver is, and anybody on planet Earth can hit him. And then now let's watch a Justin Herbert incompletion where it was an incompletion, but the guy was covered like glue, and he had a window to throw it in right here, and he actually threw it there, but the defender's hand was there, or the receiver couldn't catch it but people can't see through that sometimes that's the problem with quarterback evaluation right now it's all about analytics and stats driven and then of course the pressure of the public with the wins and losses and two is a winner and that's all they've been sold on and he has a million dollar smile and he's easy to like and everything that way and that's why we root for him you know it sounds like we don't root for him here it's not the case you know, and if I get negative about Tua, it's not about Tua. It's about the people who are constantly on like my Tua. case about it. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 uh, one of the great conversations of a quarterback evaluations in the NFL right now. And, you know, some people get tricked by those things we're talking about. By the way, my vague memory ended up being accurate. July 12, 2016, an item from PFT that was based upon – Tim Rowan, then of the MMQB.com, taking a look at Donald Trump's time as the owner of the New York area generals. Yeah. Here it is. After Trump bought the team, a decision had to be made at the most important position on the field. Coach Walt Michaels wanted to draft Randall Cunningham. Trump wanted Doug Flutie. At one point, Michaels used two of his assistant coaches, one who was 6'3 and the other who was 5'9, to demonstrate the size differences between the two players. Trump nevertheless insisted on Flutie, and as I added in parenthetical, perhaps Michaels should have done a hand size comparison instead. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it's it, and it's You're that's funny. the that's the difference between Tua and Herbert. We see it now. And again, Chris, I don't have the time to do the whole watching the film of a thousand different guys. Yeah, I know. Who, That's you know, why I'm and, here. And acting right, but but you saw Herbert is higher than Tua. Yes, no I doubt. I don't see how no knowing what we know now, I don't see what people saw because I mean, we've been with both guys face to face. Yeah. And I mean, Tua Tua just I, I if I saw Tua walking down the street, I'd say that guy's not an NFL quarterback. Yeah, he I doesn't know. have the build. Exactly. Right? You gotta have a certain thickness. You right. gotta have a certain size to make it work. And hey, look, Russell Wilson's gotten it done. But Russell Wilson it's is a different like a look. tank. He's rocked yes. up. Right. Exactly. Same with Kyler Murray. They have a look where you go, I don't know what he is, but he's a good athlete. That's what you that's the what you're talking about, I think. Sorry. Even Drew Brees has that vibe. No doubt about Even, it. You know, it's broad but, shoulders, but long arms, big hands, and like it's bigger than a six foot guy in a lot of ways, if right. that makes sense. Right. Tua doesn't have that. No. Tua doesn't have that. No. And we saw Herbert and at the Herbert combine. Justin Herbert does because he's 6'5". Yeah. He, we saw Herbert at the combine. He's one of those guys that's 6'5", and he's 240, and he doesn't even look 240. And you go, man, when he starts to become like a man and fill out here, he's going to look like, you know, damn RoboCop in his uniform. You're not, not going to be able to stop him, and that's what he's starting to look like. I mean, look at him out there. He's big, broad shoulders, and he's just, whoom, whoom. I mean, he's unbelievable that way. So... Yeah, I get you. That would have been enough to scare me in a lot of ways. And uh, hey, I, I I don't know. I don't get it either. 
hey, Mike, I mean, I'm originally the guy who had Jordan Love a little bit ahead of Tua, uh, Tua in, the, in the draft conversation. I, I, I never saw it with Tua, really. So, uh, but again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. It's not easy. You're going to be wrong at this. But, yeah, that one was one that I think was not that hard to be right about, honestly, in my opinion. By the way, when Flutie ended up struggling for the New Jersey Generals, John Barron, a vice president of the Trump Organization, began contacting the media to complain openly about Doug Flutie's contract. Of course, many <laughs> believe John Barron was actually Donald Trump himself. So maybe Stephen Ross. Oh, is that when he was like, dust doing, yeah, that's right. I forgot about maybe, that. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody who is a vice president of Stephen Ross's business needs to start calling the media to complain about the fact that they drafted Tua instead of Justin Herbert. Oh, and by the way, Ross and Trump are very good friends. So there's a there's a there's a big fat thread. This isn't a tiny little comparative here. This, this is a this is an apples to apples comparison of uh whiffing on a quarterback when it's clear that that the guy who owns the team wanted Tua and it's also clear that the guy who now owns the team wants Deshaun Watson. And if you want him, go get him. I said that 5 weeks ago. Yeah, you if did. If you want him, go get him. Don't don't screw around with this idea of oh we don't want to give up these draft picks because your draft picks are all busts your first round picks yeah, they're, yeah Tua they're not Austin Jackson Noah Igbenogany are not you kidding great. me three first round picks from twenty twenty hey great job getting three first round picks yeah not great job using those first round picks. no I I mean you're you're right I mean Austin Jackson it's still debatable as we're talking about same with the corner Igbenogany like you talked about. You know, Igbenogany. It, yep. Sorry, I'm gonna get that right one day. I really need to practice that one. I sorry about that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. There's no doubt. They're they're a little, right now not looking great, looking like a little bit of a swing and a miss. And you know, just so we get this straight, right? I, I think we got this. Dolphins got a one first round pick this year, if I remember correctly, right? Because they traded it with the Eagles. Uh, after the 49ers or no wait do I got that right they, they have, have one they, first, have, they have one left they have one left year. and then they have two the next year I believe right yes so they got three yes. here in the next two years to play with and certainly that should be enough to you know entice the Texans to make a deal if that does happen hey one of the things I want to know and is, you can go three years out too so they could they could actually do four first round picks if they want to right and and and, and also we've got the issue with the criminal case yeah. That has yet to make it to a grand jury. No doubt. The 22 civil complaints. And that's why I've said all along the fair way to do this is tie the ultimate compensation to the availability over the next three years. But I think from the Texas perspective, they're saying, you're not drafting this or trading for this guy for the next three years. You're trading for this guy for the next 10 years. Yeah, that's right. So you're right. We, we shouldn't have to play games about how much he can play the next few years because he may be playing 16 or 17, as the case may be, in 23, 24, 25, 26, right. 27. That's what you're trading for to get, not a guy that's going to be a short-term QB. And that's why I think it's not impossible that they trade for Deshaun Watson and keep Tua. Everybody thinks they're going to either trade Tua to the Texans, who I don't think want him, or unload Tua onto someone else. You may need Tua for the rest of the year because it's entirely possible the moment that you trade for Deshaun Watson, the league wakes up to the Deshaun Watson case and says, number one, this is one hell of a distraction from the Washington football team situation, and number two, 
we got to we got to put this guy on paid leave now. We got to show we're tough. We yeah. got to take a stand. Right. We, we and and then you don't have Deshaun Watson for the rest of the season, so you need Tua. Well, uh, you're right. I, I have I have a hard time thinking that'll that'll go play out that way if they do trade Deshaun Watson. I think they'll want to end that discussion, not give Tua a chance to look good and have those issues. But I I want to go back to a comment you made because. Yeah, I got pretty good knowledge that the, the Houston Texans, from what I've heard from people in the league and in the know, they don't want Tua. That uh, you know, that's I think kind of the unspoken thing here. Where if this trade goes down, I've been led to believe by a few people that there's gonna, there might be a third team involved here that that wants Tua, and that's maybe part of the gymnastics of making this trade happen. And again, hey, one other thing too. Let's just not forget this. You know. The Eagles, I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't be in this conversation right now. You know, again, I, I mean, listen, it's not like it's, you know, the year's over. But I think we look at the Eagles and go, hey, they're not a playoff. They're not. I don't expect them to go to the playoffs. I don't. And and their number one issue is hands down quarterback. It's there's no other way to say it. The Eagles' offense is good at every other position. They have a good receiving core. They have a really good offensive line. They have a really good tight end. And the reason they're two and four is because of the quarterback. The defense is one of the five, ten best defenses in football, too. So that's where I, I look at them, and you know, I just wonder if they're going to jump into this conversation, and we might hear rumors about them well, here in the next few days, too. And let's do what we often do in situations like this and be realistic about why this is coming out, when it's coming out, and where it's coming out from. John McClain, Houston Chronicle, covering the Texans, Texans putting it out there. I think it's fair to suggest that this is something that comes from the Texans. We love John McClain. I don't want to anger him by source speculating, but yeah, I don't think it's no, a yeah. stretch to right. say he's getting this from the Texans. This may be the, hey, anyone else out there that may want Deshaun Watson, speak yeah. now or forever hold your peace. Right. And whether it's the Eagles, whether it's whoever, you know, a few weeks ago, the Broncos would have said, nah, nah, we're good. Yeah. A few weeks ago, the Panthers would have said, yeah. nah, yeah. nah, we're good. You know, now, as we're getting closer and closer to the deadline, maybe you could lure some of these other teams back to the table. And this is why you move now. Because even though, because here's how you got to reconcile this. There's a chance the guy's getting put on paid leave. So why are you doing it now anyway? Well, because if you do it now, you may be able to get him for less then in March, when they line up out the door yes. to get him. Right. Because not only do you have to worry about the Eagles and the Panthers and the Broncos then, if you're the Dolphins, you got to worry about any of these other teams Yeah. Who finally said, yeah. hell with the guy who plays quarterback for us. Right. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I would think that would be the value of making it happen now, that you get it done, you, you get it for the low to an extent as far as like what you're talking about. And yeah, you don't get in a bidding war with, you know, maybe eight other teams in football who are looking to upgrade the quarterback position. Because again, Deshaun Watson is the type of talent where even if you have a good quarterback, you know, teams are going to look, they're going to look period. It's like the rumors we heard about the Raiders last year with Deshaun Watson. That was a little bit in the spring. Yeah. Hey, Derek Carr's really good. He's, he's top 10 ish quarterback in football, but he's not Deshaun Watson. And that's, you know, I, again, I think that's where it could be scary if, if you wait too long here, uh, if you're the Eagles or the Dolphins or a team that's interested in Watson. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's coming up now because we've got 12 days until 
the window slams shut until 2022. I think the trade deadline is too early. I frankly don't think there should even be a trade deadline, but it's coming. And I think that's why this is bubbling up now. Because look, back in late August, early September, when I started reporting that people believed Watson was going to be traded and the most likely destination was the Dolphins, that wasn't people just pulling stuff out of their rear end. No, absolutely there was, not. There was momentum in that direction. 100%. But at the end of the day, the two teams couldn't reach a deal on compensation. And that may be what happens again. Who knows? But it, it did. Look, that, that, that has marred the confidence of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And we publicly advised him at the time, internalize it. Use it as motivation. Go out there and play better than you ever have and show them why they shouldn't want Deshaun Watson. And what happened? Week two, he suffered broken ribs. And then when he finally comes back, it's against the Jaguars, and he doesn't look very good. And I won't be surprised if they lose to the Falcons this week, especially now that this is back on the front burner, and it may rattle him again. So uh, it's just a distraction that the Dolphins don't need to deal with, and it all goes back to their owner. And you can't fire the owner, even though... Plenty of fan bases should be wishing that you could because so much of the dysfunction that we see trickle down to people who are otherwise competent, professional, and capable, that dysfunction isn't coming from them. That dysfunction, Chris, is coming from the very top. And it's no accident that the Dolphins have stunk for the most part of the last 12 years, because Stephen Ross has been the controlling owner of the Dolphins for every day of the last 12 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, some dots you connect, you can connect there. And yeah, you know, it does seem like Stephen Ross you know, sticks his nose in there, maybe a little bit more than, than other owner, owners in football, you know, you know, minus the guys who were, the acting GMs of their teams, like the Jones family, where that's know, it though. That's it. That's Nobody, really no other it. Owner you're right. You're right. Is the GM? No, you're right. I'm. I, as I was saying it, I was going. Wait, they are the only ones that are really yeah. like that. And you know, uh, yeah. And you'd never pull it off today. When Bezos buys a team, he ain't making himself GM. If he does, he gets shouted out the door. I hope. I it hope was so. Right. Pre-internet. Yeah. Pre-talk radio to yeah. the point where it is now. Right. You ain't getting away with buying a team and making yourself GM in today's climate. And, and you know, I, I'm glad, because this is a good segue to what we're going to talk about in the next segment. But when D. Smith, the executive director of the NFLPA, was on with Bryant Gumbel Tuesday night on Real Sports on yeah. HBO, yeah. He, he, he said that, that the NFL is less a corporation than it is a feudal oligarch system. Yeah. And, and, and you know, hopefully the... The thing we're going to talk about next, the current status of the Washington football team scandal, we'll get more people to wake up to the fact that these are American oligarchs that own these teams. 100%. And they want nothing more than to hide behind someone. They hide behind Goodell on league matters. They hide behind their general managers on coaches when they're throwing all sorts of ingredients into the stew that don't belong. It's not me. It's them. That, you know, the, a, a wise man once told me the only thing better than being rich and famous is being rich. And these American oligarchs do not want to be criticized. So they want to stir the soup without ever being called out for how the soup tastes at a team level and at the league level. Yeah. And uh, let's take a break because we're going to talk about the latest with the Washington football team. But there is an overlap there. And I hope more people start to wake up to the idea that 
that these folks who want to be above all criticism deserve plenty of it. We'll, we'll delve into the WFT situation next on PFT Live. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? In Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. We're not getting full transparency when it comes to the 650,000 emails that the NFL says were sent to and from former Washington President Bruce Allen over a 10-year period, 178 per day. But we are getting some drips. There are some people out there of goodwill who are making things known to those of us, the few of us in the media who are chasing this story. We had a couple of tidbits yesterday. Let me start with Bruce Allen and Jeff Pash. Jeff Pash, the NFL general counsel. Some of the emails were leaked last Thursday night during the Bucks eagles game showing some, some questionable things for a lawyer to be putting in writing, some comments that were nothing close to John Gruden, but, but some things that, that could offend some. Comments about the wall along the southern border, comments about players not voting, less than 1% probably vote something that Jeff Pash said derisively, questions about Jeff Pash saying that Bruce Allen was doing the Lord's work by trying to get a player to take less money. So we've seen some, but we reported yesterday that there were more than a thousand emails exchanged between Pash and Allen over that 10-year period. The league downplayed it. They confirmed that they didn't confirm the number. They said they'd have to dig, but they said if it's only a thousand, well, that works out to about two a week. Well, okay, fine. Just, just give us the damn emails. Just let's end the mystery. If you think it's no big deal, oh, it's just two a week. Okay, fine. Well, you can say a lot in two emails a week. Just show us the damn emails and be done with it. Don't downplay it. There's a lot of downplaying going on because they're trying to hide something. If you got nothing to hide, show us the emails. Of course. If you got something to hide, if you got something to hide, keep doing what you're doing because it's letting us all know you got something to hide and we're going to keep pushing to get the emails. Yeah, I don't think they care. They're, they're going to give you a little to wet your beak or like change the conversation or get us off base a little bit, but I, I don't think we're ever going to see them because there is stuff there that's probably, you know, 
uh, demeaning to a degree. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Right. Well, no, they, they won't deny. See, when I ask yeah. the right question, when right. I'm supported by the truth, because what I'm trying to do here is be very fair to the league. Yeah. So before I run with any of this, I say to them, here's what I'm going to report. This is your chance to tell me I'm right. wrong. This is your chance to add to it. This is your chance to do anything. And on both of the things we reported yesterday about this, I did that. And on one of them, I went way above what I would do, just to be 100% sure. Because I think they're afraid if they say that's not true, the next move on the chessboard is, yeah. well, here it is. Right. <laughs> what do you say about this? Yeah. So they got no choice when the arrow hits the bullseye, they got no choice but to admit it. But what they do then, Chris, is they downplay. Well, it's only two a week. Still, just show us the damn things if it's no big deal. If it's normal that Jeff Pash and Bruce Allen were exchanging emails, show us. I think there's more that would be problematic for the league that were exchanged between Allen and Pash than has been leaked. I think there's more. I wouldn't be Spider shocked. Spider Sense... There's more. I wouldn't be shocked. They're they're giving you a little like, you know, some cliff notes here, but they're not going to let you have the whole story. There's no doubt about it. And yeah, these are things that you know are going to make the league take a few jabs in the face here and, and a little controversial. But they're like, you know what? We'll take a few jabs instead of us letting out this whole thing and we get hit by a bunch of haymakers for the next month and this overtakes the whole league. So I think that's where they're trying to kind of walk the fine line of like. You know, we're going to wait this out, but we'll give you a little here and there to keep it going. And we just hope it kind of after a little while, everybody forgets about it, stops trying to, you know, pursue it so aggressively and do that. That to me, just again, as a guy who's followed the league very closely my whole life, I would say that's the route they're going to try to take in this situation. They're up 10 points with nine minutes left in the game, and they want to run out the clock. Yeah, exactly. They, just, they desperately right. want to run out the clock. Right. They want to and, run out the and, clock, and they might do a cool play every now and then, you know, like, oh, here's a little something just to, you know, whet your appetite a little bit. No, but. no, no. They don't want to give anything, but when they are when they have no choice. Yeah, then they do. Th okay, that's That's when said. they have to right, admit it. Right. That's when they have to admit it. Right. And they're hoping that, you know, that, that there aren't so many of these that it creates a critical mass where someone who has the power to force them to relent wakes up. And whether it's the NFL Players Association finding a legal theory that can be pursued in court or through a grievance, maybe there's some creative theory that could be used there. Maybe there's some third party who could create some sort of a citizen-based lawsuit based upon the public nature of the NFL at this point, the public funding, the public presence. I made the argument a week or two ago that maybe one of the Freedom of Information Acts out there in one of the various states could support an argument, and specifically in Virginia or Maryland, the idea that, that you know, specifically the stadiums in Maryland, there's an argument to be made that, that there's a public interest here that requires that these be Producer, the easiest thing would be for someone in Congress. Now, Congress is such a mess in a cesspool right now. They literally don't have time to to fulfill this function. We always hear, doesn't have Congress, doesn't Congress have better things to do than this? No, well, they shouldn't because this is part of their mission. When things like this are so intensely in the public interest, they need to regulate them. And if Congress wasn't a cluster right now, maybe they would be able to hold a hearing on this and put some pressure on the league to release these. But that's the kind of thing it's going to take. But but if it all dies down and goes away, it's never going to happen. So I'm doing what I can to keep this alive. I'm doing what I can to keep pushing this. I don't have a whole lot of help here, 
And that's very disappointing. We talked about that yesterday, and I'm going to mention it again today. Where is everybody? I sure hope the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, major publications out there with the resources to put into investigative journalism are doing something, and they're just holding back the 10,000-word article that's going to drop on Sunday morning. You know, we, we don't wait until we have a big, giant word salad that we can throw out onto the web. When I have something new, I polish it up, and I post it, and I move on to the next thing. I'm just hoping there's someone else out there that, that is trying to get to the bottom of this. Because I think, folks, if you're watching, if you're listening, there's a reward out there. If you're in the business of doing investigative journalism, there is a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Follow it. Yeah, I mean, yes. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be reluctant, especially the ones that follow the NFL. Mike, you're special that way. You know, you, you don't yeah, bow down to them. Maybe. Well, washing cars soon. Well, too. I mean, yeah, may, maybe you will be, but you are different that way. You you don't just, you know, stay status quo or go, okay, the NFL said it, I'll believe them. But as we know, and a little bit back into the conversation you just talked about, like at the end of the last segment, you know, yeah, not everybody's going to want to bite the hand that feeds them when they're, when they're following the league. And these are 32 oligarchs that got tentacles all over the world and can squash and do things quicker than any group of people in our country. We know that. I'm not going to get into specifics about certain stories with owners and everything else, but damn, they can get it swept under the rug quicker than anybody. So that's where I just don't think it's going to happen. And again, that's where I just think it's interesting that it's it's Bruce Allen who's out of the league that just continues to get crapped on here now. And, you know, it's people of not high – it's like the – it's just – it's to me – yeah, it's a crap show, for lack of a better well, way to say it. Bruce Allen deserves everything he gets. John Gruden deserves everything he gets. Sure. The problem is there are others who deserve exactly something, and they're not getting it right. because they're successfully Jeff hiding Pash it. Another it thing too. that yeah. came out yesterday, um, and, and this shows that there, the, the league claims that the 650,000 emails that were sent to and from Bruce Allen, 178 per day, every day for 10 years, that they were unrelated to the workplace culture investigation that was going on in Washington. Uh, okay, but what about the emails where Allen sent the photographs of the cheerleaders to John Gruden? Doesn't that overlap with the investigation? Because it wasn't that a big part of the investigation. That's actually what prompted the league to take over the investigation when the story came out of the secret video clips from the calendar shoot that were prepared reportedly for Dan Snyder and other high-level executives. So there is clear overlap there. And one of the other things that came to light, and again, it's another drip, it's another drip, and there are people out there of goodwill who aren't committed to hiding this. In 2011, Bruce Allen sends a photo to a couple of members of the league office, Dennis Curran, who's basically the general counsel for the management executive committee, the management council executive committee, and Adolfo Birch, who was a high-level executive at the time, with a couple of women scantily clad, one bent over and the other one with a, a fake needle. And, and Alan wrote something along the lines of, for our next meeting on HGH. And, and, and that's in this body of documents, right? And I'm not making any judgment about it, but it's another reason why we need to see all of it. We need to see everything that's in there because this is another one that sends up a red flag and it has some overlap to the culture of the Washington organization. And I'd love to know what happened next after Allen declared himself as being, you know, a guy who would maybe think that it's OK to send 
an email like that to a couple of high-level members of the league office. What did they do? Now, the league said they didn't respond. The league was was very careful to point out they didn't respond. Right. Okay, fine. They, did, they didn't engage in whatever banter Bruce Allen was trying to bait them to engage in. But did they say this is inappropriate, this is unacceptable? Did they let Dan Snyder know that their team president is sending out? At the time, he was a general manager. But what, what was done at the time that the red flag goes up the pole, what, what was done to address what Allen did? And I think that's part of this, too. That's part of this, too. What, what did the league know and when did the league know it about the fact that they had a cesspool in Washington from a workplace standpoint that they needed to deal with? And how do we get to the bottom of it? Well, we start by seeing the full trove of Bruce Allen emails. 650,000, let's see him. Let's see him. We, we may want to do more after that. We're not saying that's all of it, but that's an easy starting point, especially because the league says it has nothing to do with the workplace misconduct investigation. Okay, fine. Then why are you hiding it? Let's see him. Let's yeah. just see him. Yeah. See him and be done with it. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, and especially, hey, football is such a big part of our country and our culture, and, you know, of course, it, it employs a very, you know, a great diversity of different cultures to where, yeah, you'd like to see him to know if, yeah, things are not being done or said properly. You know, a lot of disrespectful things just already in just the, the, the few emails we have seen. Just disrespectful, period. I mean, you know, even some of the, you know, like you mentioned already, the Jeff Pash, Bruce Allen stuff, just disrespectful. It's, 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 yeah. So I don't like the tone of that. I understand that. But like, I feel like, Mike, you're the only one that's still kind of banging the table and banging the drum. I feel like the last few days, if you don't go on pro football talk, you don't see much uh, about any of this stuff anymore. And I just think the NFL is going to continue to try to wait this out and see where it goes. And, uh, and they're going to take their lumps for now. But I just, I'll be shocked if we ever get to the point where they release any of this. No way. There's no way the 32 oligarchs are ever going to get behind releasing stuff like this. There's no way. Absolutely not. They benefit from having a series of bright, shiny objects to attract our attention during yeah. football season. That is games. We got a game tonight. Oh, uh, we, we, we'd really, I, you know, on NFL Network, we'd really like to talk about, uh, talk about this Washington football team scandal. But we got a game to cover tonight. You know, I mean, it's the ultimate diversion to anything going on that people may say something's not right here. Now, I will say this. I, I look. There are others who are trying to change the status quo, and DeMora Smith, the NFLPA executive director, is one of them. And one of the things he said to Brian Gumble the other night that makes a ton of sense, and I hadn't really thought of it, because people are criticizing Roger Goodell for staying silent in all of this. But at the end of the day, it's not his call. No, He's of course the pin not. cushion. Right. He's the guy who is protecting the man behind the curtain or the men behind the curtain, the men. And there are now some women in ownership behind the curtain. Let's not pretend that there aren't some women and female oligarchs who are pulling the levers and pushing the buttons who are trying to hide all of this too. And I, Hey, I hope, I hope that when they have their meetings and there's a quarterly meeting coming up, I hope Kim Pagula and Sheila Ford Hamp and other females in ownership stand up and say, what was going on in Washington is unacceptable, and we got no business hiding this stuff. I'm hoping there's a little dissension in the ranks. Maybe the oligarchs start turning on each other and saying, we can't hide this. The only way we're going to improve is to embrace it and learn from it. But regardless, it's going to be their decision, not the commissioner's. The commissioner is, and Tom Curran is the first person that I heard put the term this way. 
He's the forty million. He's the he's the highest price pin cushion in the world. He's making forty million a year at least. It's probably more like fifty now. We don't know anymore. We used to know because we used to get the public filings yeah. because the NFL used to be a a tax exempt operation and people foolishly foolishly tried to turn that into oh they don't pay their taxes no and now we don't get access to what the commissioner and other high level executives make because I think it would be interesting to know that right now but he's running interference he's providing cover for the owners who will make the decision as to what does and doesn't get out yeah. and they're not letting any of it out because it's all it's a threat all of it's a threat exactly to all of them in the way that they do their business yeah exactly right I, that's where i keep coming back to exactly right and i'm glad you explained that because i know that people want to hate roger goodell and it's it's this is not his call he's he is not the king of this 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 little country but it's called his the gig. NFL. it's his gig he yeah. knows he knows it's his gig. Yeah. That's that's part of what he does. He's got thick skin. Yep. He'll take the slings and yeah, arrows. Exactly right. He's getting paid for it. He's right. getting paid to be the guy who stands up there and be the human shield for the oligarchs. Yeah, you're plain right. And simple. Yep. So he knows what he signed up for. No, you're exactly right. And you know, I mean, I'm not gonna like shed a tear for him I mean, he's making fifty million dollars a year, but you know, I do think I'll it, do it too. For fifty million a year, you can hey, I I take plenty of S H dash T for a lot less than that. Yes. So yeah, no. I'll do it. No, I, I know. And then yes, but I do think it's our duty there to explain that to people so they don't get yeah. so personal just on him and realize that no, this is not him. And I'm sure he's well, he's a, not the one that needs to be pressured. It's the folks behind the curtain who need to be pressured. Yeah, but we'll never hear from them. It's like you said already, too. They're they're gonna stay behind that curtain. They like to not be blamed or anything. They want, hey, wait, we did great. Hey, I'm here. Give me credit. I'm the owner. Look what I did. Wait, it's not going so good. They did it. He did it. Uh, you bad draft pick. I said to draft him. You sure you don't you don't have video re recording of that? Do you? Nope. That's your problem. That's what they are. That's the group. I mean. Yes. I mean, that goes in line with every ultra-rich person I've ever met. I don't mean to disrespect some of them. I know. I'm just saying that they're never wrong. They know everything. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Roger Goodell, he's just going to take, take it on the chin here for the, for the rest of the group. It's going to be interesting because when this next ownership meeting happens, you know, the, the traditional procedure is reporters hang around and different owners will hold court with reporters and you'll see the tweets start showing up all the different things John Mara had to say all the different things Jerry Jones had to say all the different things Robert Kraft had to say and in the aftermath of the Ray Rice fiasco from 2014 it was very standoffish they didn't want to have the same access given to the reporters because they were on the run the reporters smelled the blood in the water, and I wonder if it's going to be the same way this time, if the, if the reporters are not going to have the access. And we're still in a pandemic, so it makes it easier to say, sorry, can't talk. But I think that if I had to guess, because there may be some reporters out there who want to heed the call to arms, and they think, hey, hey, we'll just hang around at the lobby of wherever they're doing the league meeting. I don't even know if they're doing it in person, so that may kill the whole thing, too. So I, I don't know where all that stands from a pandemic standpoint, but at the end of the day, what happens is Roger Goodell has a press conference. At the end of these meetings, however they do them, yeah. wherever they do them, right. whatever they do, he has a press conference, and it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the questioning is of him about this scandal when the time comes and he won't want to answer any questions about it we'll see how many he gets yeah well, he'll get a ton i would think but yeah i don't i don't know i don't envision any of that happening anytime soon in fact yeah i, I don't know if 
I don't know if we're going to get a situation like that until the Super Bowl, really, until like the annual, you know, Super Bowl commissioner press conference. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the next time we hear from Roger Goodell on all league matters and even get to ask him personally and dive into these questions. Well, uh, all we can do is hope that the right thing is done. And as I said yesterday on PFTPM, and I'll say again today, anyone out there that knows anything that they think would help push the matter along. Full anonymity will be provided to you. I will protect you until my last breath. Florio at profootballtalk.com. Drop a line and let me know how we can push this thing forward because there are people out there who believe that from within the broader NFL structure, people who are behind the shield with the owners who believe the right thing needs to be done and the truth needs to come out. So we'll see if it happens. Let's take a break. We'll get back to football. We've got some bright, shiny objects. Although the Rams got rid of their bright, shiny object in Jared Goff, what can we expect to see from him in his return to Los Angeles? We'll do that and more with Fill in the Blank next on PFT Live. It'll be fun to see all those people, and it'll be fun to, to be there. And, of course, you're motivated. Of course, you have the chip on your shoulder. I've spoken about that. Like, you know, there, there, was, there was some disrespect felt towards the end. There was some, um, you know, sourness there towards the end. And, and you still feel that. You still have that chip on your shoulder. But at the same time, when I get the game starts, if I let any of that come into how I'm going to play the game, it'd be selfish. And, and I'm going to play the game just how I would any other game. And to be honest, I'm not worried about feeling some type of way once the game starts. I, don't, I really don't. Jared Goff actually should be feeling grateful. The Rams paid him $33.5 million a year when they never should have done it. And uh, dollar for dollar, I think he's as overpaid as any quarterback in the NFL right now. That's just my personal feeling. No offense, Jared. You've got millions of dollars that you can use to to help you get over any any uh, upset that my opinion may cause. But the reality is the Rams couldn't wait to get rid of him, Chris. After two seasons, 18 months after giving him that contract, they could not wait to get rid of him by the end of the 2020 season. And now, week seven, the Lions 0-6, the Rams 5-1, and they get together again. And they know him as well as anyone. They know his strengths. They know his weaknesses, and you got a bunch of guys on that defense, especially yeah. 99. They can't wait to finally have a, a shot at the guy who wore the red jersey all those years of practice. Yeah, no, no doubt. There's no doubt. And, you know, again, it it is into the, the tale of, like, you know, a little bit we talked about with Tua early on in the show with, you know, Alabama and everything there. You couldn't tell people at first that Jared Goff wasn't a top-10 quarterback. Wait, the Rams are winning. Wait, they went to the Super Bowl. I want to go, no, they would have won a lot more and probably won the Super Bowl if they had a quarterback that was top 10-ish. That's where people miss out you know, on those conversations. They were playing a game and playing a style of football and managing their quarterback, and they could do that because they had a smart coach and a really talented team around him. But there was very few instances throughout his whole time in L.A. where it was – man, we need you to play big today, or we need you to make a few throws here and there. I mean, there's a very, very few instances, and you know, you can see the difference in their offense already right away with the guy like Matthew Stafford. Now you go, oh, crap, the Rams are coming to town with McVay and Stafford, and we don't know how many haymakers they're going to throw at us today. I remember the moment was in Super Bowl 53, the first half. They ran that play where yeah. Robert Woods ran the underneath crosser and Brandon Cooks popped wide ass open and Goff threw it to Woods. Now, Woods was open too, but he had a touchdown. 
if he had thrown the ball. Yeah, if he just read the play the right way. Yeah. They come back after halftime, after that 30-minute halftime, when I presume they said, hey, we're going to do this again at the right moment, and Cooks is the guy, and Goff saw him too late, threw a bad ball. It would, it, they they would have won the Super Bowl, I think, if he completes that pass. And I think that was the moment for me where I said, okay, you can do better, Los Angeles Rams. The problem is they didn't have that realization for a couple of years after that because they paid him the big contract just a few months after that game. Yeah, well, they got t- they got stuck in a tough spot of California kid, public pressure, we're doing good. McVeigh probably feeling like, hey, I can, I'm good enough to make it work with this guy. No big deal. I'll figure it out. Everything had been successful to that point. So, you know, and he was their here, he was their, you know, their their guy, their their first pick of the draft. So they weren't they wanted to justify, like, look, look what we did. And I understand that. But yeah, they fell into a trap that way. And it did hurt them. And as time went on, teams started to realize, wait. With Jared Goff at quarterback, this is the kind of formula the Rams run on offense. Okay, we got to figure it out. And now there was nothing Jared Goff could do, as we heard like Dan Campbell say last week, to kind of like, you know, make a play, do something. We expect more. Not just like, oh, okay, hey, we got the first read open, you hit them. We're paying you $35 million a year because sometimes the first, second, and third read are not open. You know, they got pros and good coaches over there, too. We need you to make a play. We need you to make a throw. And that's where, you know, he fails to deliver, in in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinions now. Especially once the window closed on Todd Gurley's days. Exactly right. That exposed it more. That's when it all changed. You're right. All right, let's do fill in the blank. Jared Goff, with all that that we just said, will what against his former team on Sunday? Will feel the pressure, for sure. Uh, I mean, in all aspects. I think he's going to feel the pressure of, like, Wow, I'm back here in L.A. Wow, holy cow, in warm-ups. Whoa, look at that guy. I, I'm, whoa, look at Stafford. Whoa, I can't throw like that. Okay, maybe that's why they traded me. You know, And then the pressure of he's going to be playing a legit Rams defense. And, of course, their offense in Detroit is struggling, and they don't have necessarily a game-breaker you know, guy that changes the defense's game plan. So he's going to feel the pressure from every angle in this one. And Dan Campbell changed his tune on Wednesday. He defended Goff and said they can win games with him. It was on Sunday when he unloaded a little bit. And if you go back and watch the video, he kind of stops and gathers himself. And I think he's probably asking himself, do I want to do this? And he did it and he went there. But that just adds more pressure too. And it was so stark because the next day Campbell said they're going to shake things up. I'm thinking maybe Goff could be benched. Well, if it's not this week, maybe it'll be next week. I don't know how many losses they're going to take before they see what they got in the other guys they have because they know what they have in golf and I never thought he was going to be anything more than a short-term fix there. No, They got him through this trade where they picked up two first-round picks and a third-round pick. They got him for taking on his contract and they wanted to see what he could do. I think he will fail miserably on Sunday against the Rams. I don't think there's any chance that he's going to have a big day and I think Sean McVay is going to relish the opportunity to show why he got Matthew Stafford and why he got rid of Jared Goff. All right, if the Titans beat the Chiefs, what? They are for real. Like, you know, they're one of those teams that's hard to get a feel for, but they seem like they've kind of righted the ship here the last few weeks. You know, the defense was a little bit like, you know, the Patriots we've seen the other night where it was bend but don't break. Held, you know, maybe one of the best red zone quarterbacks in football to have to kick some field goals, not get a fourth and one at the end of the football game. You know, they got the run game going. Hey, the pass game, 
I think is still a little bit of a question mark to a degree, and I still, I guess, question the defense a little bit. I'd like to see them matched up against the Chiefs and what we got going here because the Chiefs, you know, they, they got rolling a little bit last week. So uh, th this is a, just a good, I guess, test to see what direction the Titans are going in and, you know, are they the team we thought early in the year or have they turned the corner and are just going to con continue to go in this upward trajectory like we've seen the last few weeks? I'm going to take the other side of it and say if the Titans beat the Chiefs, the Chiefs may not make the playoffs. Yeah, okay. And I'm not going to make a broad proclamation right. that they definitely won't because teams can turn around. But they've got, okay, they have the Giants on Monday Night Football Week 8. So much for great primetime games. But they play the Packers yeah. Week 9. They're at the Raiders Week 10. They have the Cowboys Week 11. So they've got the Raiders again, the Chargers again, the Bengals. Now they have some games that they can win, but once you get to four losses, yeah. and this is one of the great mysteries that makes this season more exciting, more bright, shiny objects, so we quit talking about the Washington football team investigation. How many losses does it take to knock you out? Used to be you get around six. You got to get a little nervous. You got to start watching the other teams when they're yeah, playing. This team right. needs to lose. This team needs to lose. I don't know the 10 and 6 gets us in. Well, I don't know. Is it 10 and 7 this year? Is that the magic number? It might be. Or is it 11 and 6? I don't know. But four losses before Halloween, the Chiefs, four losses before Halloween, the alarms will be going off if the Chiefs lose this game, Chris. Yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. I, I, there, there's no doubt. It's, that's scary when you get to four losses before Halloween. You're right. And I'm going to be interested, too, to see where it goes. You know, I think the AFC is really good. Uh, maybe the top group of teams is not as good as uh, completed teams as I really would have thought. I, I guess maybe just a little lesser than in that capacity. But, man, it's still good. And this maybe this is one of those years, Mike, where, you know, as we go on, they're going to kind of beat each other up and beat each other and where we might have a bunch of teams sitting here, you know, at the end of the year that are 9-8 and eight and might, like, tiebreakers come down into who gets in the playoffs who doesn't I, I am it, it does change the season for sure and your thought process with this one extra game it really does that would be Pete Rozelle's dream come true if every team was eight and eight heading into the final week of the season wouldn't that be something I have a feeling that won't be the case there are some very good teams out there but not as many dominant teams as maybe we've had in the past if the Bengals beat the Ravens what Chris we, we need to stop hating on the Bengals or you know doubting the Bengals uh, I, you know again I, I think a lot of people just are like wait they're gonna fall on their face here soon right they're the Bengals that's what they do you know and, and they're not you know this is something that I, I think you, you might have heard me say on football night in America last week like they're here to stay. I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, 13 and four and be the number one team in the AFC, but like it wasn't a mistake that they were toe to toe with the Green Bay Packers and had a chance to win the game. They didn't like luck into that. They're they're a good football team. Are they a great football team? I don't know about that. I think it's still a work in progress. But you know, offensive line solid. You got a quarterback who continues to get better and better and healthier every week, and he's a superstar when he gets back to healthy. You got a superstar receiver. You got a decent tight end, a good tight end. You got two other good receivers to go along with it. You got a superstar running back. You know, they can rush the passer. They can stop the run. The defense is good. Like, I don't care what happens this week. The Bengals are here to stay in the conversation as far as, like, a pain in the butt and a contender for the AFC playoffs this year. 
I'll take the other side of this one as well. If the Bengals beat the Ravens, the Ravens will have squandered all of the good vibes that they've generated in recent weeks. They can't afford to lose this one. After the win over the Chiefs and the the walk-off 66-yard field goal over the Lions and somehow pulling the rabbit out of their rear ends against the Colts and then dismantling the Chargers, it's all for naught if you lose to the Bengals because you know what? The Bengals will be in first place in the division, and you got to play them again later this year in their building. So uh, if the Ravens truly want to be the dominant team in the AFC North, they've got to win this game, and they will have wasted everything they did to position themselves to beat the Bengals and show that, that we still run the AFC North. If Jimmy G and Trey Lance are both healthy, the 49ers should what, Chris? They should play Jimmy G. That's what they should do. I don't think Trey Lance is ready for primetime yet. And listen, I, I was a guy early on in train camp. I was, you know, you know me. I was going, hey, just so let's start it. Trey Lance, let's go. But as of course I got to watch preseason games, I went, whoa, okay, wait, maybe we're not. You can't do that. You know, he he's he's a little more raw than I expected. He is. And, you know, in that game, you know, a few weeks ago, hey, he did some good things. He gave them a chance to win, certainly. You know, he's got a good team around him, too. I mean, he's got a Super Bowl defense, legit, like maybe arguably the best defense in football. They're in that convo. But, you know, he is still raw. He was this close to making like five other mistakes and interceptions or strip sacks in that game, let alone he got hurt, and he's lucky he didn't get hurt worse. And that's where I would be scared about it. And honestly, I think they need Jimmy G right now because they need – the threat of the drop back pass offense to a degree to help out the run game. With Trey Lance in there, you can always just go stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. We know there's going to be a few play action passes. We'll be ready for that. But I think it gives you actually a little less to think about where with Jimmy G, there's a little bit more to prepare for right now until Trey Lance, of course, you know, gets a little more polished and becomes more comfortable and better just playing quarterback in the NFL. Easy answer for me. If they're both healthy, the 49ers should play Jimmy Garoppolo until he gets injured again because he will. That's <laughs> that's the approach. That's what they're doing. And I'm not going to tip my hand yet on the Mega Picks podcast that we'll be taping later this morning. Chris Sims Unbuttoned and PFTPM, where we make all of our picks for but the week. But you're tipping your hand. Colts 49ers. No, it's one of the – it could be yeah. – I don't know what the spread hey. is, but I'm with you, Mike. That could be one of the upset games of the week. I would think the 49ers are favored. But, yeah, I'm here. I hear it's, you. It started to kind of creep into my mind a little bit this week that there's a chance the 49ers just aren't as good as we think they are. There's a chance they're just not as good as we think they are. And uh, we, need to, we need to factor that in to all prognostication that gets done about the 49ers moving forward. All right, when we return, some Buccaneers talk. Mike Evans, one of the great receivers of the past eight years, has some high praise for one of his teammates. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. 
Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.